0: Welcome back to the Pesky Report. This is episode 294 of the Pesky Report, brought to you by Beyond the Monster. My name is Derek, a.k.a. your president of the Alan Castro Fan Club, which had a little bit of fun today, Um, but maybe we'll get to that at some point. I'm here with Jake and Hunter, as always. Uh, I I think we should really just kind of get right into the mix here. We've got a decent amount of things to talk about, Uh, and top of the list, we're going to head straight to Portland. We're going to start from the northernmost team. Uh, and we're going to talk about Nick York. Nick York had a very solid week. He went eight for 21, two doubles, a homer. Um, also uh, stole two bases this week. I'll go to Jake first, keep the uh, tradition alive here. Uh, thoughts on Nick York's week.
1: Well, thank you for keeping tradition going for, for to change it up because I think last week you eschewed tradition, which <laughs> I'll let it slide. Um, <laughs> York has been uh, continuing to have a strong season in Portland uh statistically you know pretty much across the board again a a big a a really good week for him i pulled the numbers that he's put up in august so far because yes overall like the numbers look good he's had he has had some some ups and downs but august you know we're we're three weeks into the month right uh or yeah basically three weeks into the month at this point and he is 305 379 525 904 uh, of a slash line for the month, and that includes three home runs, four doubles. He does have 12 strikeouts to five walks. If you look at the numbers for the year, his walk rate is up from a year ago in Greenville, and his strikeout strikeout rate is down. So th- those are positive things. Um, if I look at his the you know the, his batted ball data, he's been pulling the ball more this year. He's been uh, hitting. He's been hitting more line drives. He's been hitting fewer ground balls, more balls in the air, definitely using more of that sort of, he has that interesting kind of uppercut swing from a righty, which you don't see a lot necessarily. Um, And it's it's something that has helped him get lift on the ball. And he's uh, one thing that we're going to, that is going to be a little bit of a theme. I think with some of the guys we've talked about this week is that, we're seeing a bunch of guys setting career highs in the minors for home runs. And that's the case with Nick York. He has 13 homers on the year. Uh, previous previous high was, um, well, actually I'm lying because he had, he did hit 14 between the two levels in 2021. So he is the most he's ever hit at one level is the, is what he's hit so far this year in Portland. Um, but, I would maybe by the, by the time you listen to this, potentially on Wednesday after the game on Tuesday, maybe he will have <laughs> broken his career high in home runs. Uh, but anyway, so York has been, uh, it's a fascinating time for him considering that Portland is, is having, you know, a bit of a crunch in terms of playing time. They've had, there's been a, you know, playing time crunch all year in Portland for all of the middle infielders between York now, you know, chase Mydroth trying to get time for him. Uh, Marcelo Meyer is still on the IL. It was one thing I did want to make sure that I, we brought up this week that he's still coming back from his shoulder injury. I haven't seen anything about when exactly that, that he will come back there. That is the plan that he does come back this year. I would be interested to see if at this point, because of how much time he's missed, if he goes on, a, you know, quote unquote, whatever the version of a rehab assignment is, if he goes down to Salem and tries to get some at bats down there, and then works his way up. Um, but you know, and now Brian Bonasie is there, and they're trying to work in Tyler McDonough and you know Matthew Lugo, and so it's, it's a lot. But but York has been the most consistent performer of all of those guys, pretty much this this whole entire season. You could, you know, Miedros has been really good too, but. This has been the exact kind of year that you would want to see from Nick York after the tough year that he had last year. He's pretty much stayed healthy the whole year. Um, he has played 91 games so far this year. He played 100, and, just 101 last year. For you know, uh, you know, in or sorry, he only played 90. He only played 80 last year uh, in in high A. So he's already surpassed that. And he's continuing as the season has gone on, and as we're getting closer to the end of the season, his numbers are improving. So those are good things that you want to see. He still remains young for the level um, at just 21 years old. But uh, this has been, like I said, the exact kind of year from New York that you would want to see coming off of last season where he was injured and really for long stretches of last year really struggled.
2: Yeah, he. Uh, uh, it's something I feel like we've talked about a lot. Is he's got the underrated defense that goes along with with just a really exciting bat, uh, and something that someone actually pointed out to me the other day was uh, they asked, did Nick York change his batting stance? And uh, I I didn't even think about it, but at the start of the year he was kind of doing the like Seaton Raffaello where he has the bat over his head and he's and he's really cut back on that. And, uh, I want to, I want to at some point go back and see when that change came and if it's kind of coincided with him starting to pick it back up at the plate or not. Um, and you could argue maybe that gives him a little bit more speed. Maybe it, you know, he gets to the ball quicker and maybe the, uh, the swing and miss cuts down a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's been hitting the ball. It's something I noticed at, uh, the Portland games that I went to, um, is he just consistently hits the ball really hard. Every time he hit it, it was on a rope. Uh, it very rarely was there like a, a, weak dribble or like a blue pop up by him. It really seemed like everything was, was hit on the screws. Um, and the, as, as you mentioned, I think one of the most important things he's had his ups and downs this year, but he's been one of the more consistent bats, um, especially for Portland. I uh, I feel like there's been a lot of people that have really like hit these absurd cold streaks. And like, we've seen Marcelo Meyer struggled for a bit. We've seen, um, Blaze Jordan's been solid since getting up there, but he's had some struggles. Um, Chase Mydroth really kind of needed a minute to to get acclimated to. He started off really hot in Double A, then he cooled off for a while. Looks like he's starting to pick it back up. But Nick York's kind of been that guy at the top of the order that he might have a bad week every once in a while, but you're you're confident that he's going to break out of it relatively quickly and give you uh, a, a really good you know table setter at the top of the lineup. So he's been massively important for Portland this year. I think it's the exact kind of season you would want from him. Uh, we've talked about this before, but it was a little bit of a shock to see him start the year in double A. You've seen, you just mentioned that he's still young for the level. And so to see him perform this well uh, all season long has been such a, such a positive and it really helps his stock as a prospect. It helps uh, it gives the Red Sox a little more hope of him as the second baseman of the future And it also raises his stock uh, in like trades. Uh, So there's just all of a sudden there's so much that so many different ways that Nick York's future could go, but it really seems like most of them aim towards a positive for him, which is awesome.
0: Definitely. And I I think that's the big thing for him. He's, he's having this kind of bounce back year where there were some people who at the end of last year kind of heading into this year were like, don't believe in Nick York. Like, there were some people who didn't believe in him, right? And there are some people who, because they didn't believe in him, maybe wanted to trade him, which I don't get the trading a guy after a down year. It's a personal, I mean, it feels like you're trading him when he's down in value, but that's just me. Um, But, like, ha- him having this bounce-back year, I think, is great for him, great for the Red Sox organization. He's a guy, like, first-round pick, comes in, so had a very good year in 2021. Uh, and then the 2022 season, obviously, kind of injury uh Injury kind of slowed him down, and he never really kind of could never never could get going. Uh, this year, it's been a very good year for him. He had a little bit kind of couple weeks or so, a uh, little bit of a rough stretch, but he's very much kind of back in the swing of things now. Very much having a good time of it now, and I think that's the thing all you can ask for. Even when the guy hits rough rough patch, just you know, keep keep going at it. Uh, you know, don't let it be a prolonged rough patch. Um, get eventually, you know, if you can get out of it and get back to what you do best. Uh, and that's what Nick York has done. Um, he's back to doing what he does best. And I think long-term, when you look at the Red Sox picture, he's definitely a guy who you can look at and see at some point, maybe he is the everyday second baseman for the Red Sox, right? So I think that's – this year's very much helped Nick York a lot and has made the Red Sox decision for Nick York a lot easier when you look towards the future of like, okay, it was just a bad year, injury, played year. He's now back and at his best. I think that's big. Uh, I'll go back to Jake. Um, who's someone that who's someone not named Nick York that you want to cover this week in Portland that you want to talk a little bit about?
1: Um, yeah, so there were a few pretty good pitching performances um, this this week for the for the Sea Dogs. Uh, they played um, at Binghamton, which is the I believe that's the um, uh, Rumble Ponies. That's Rumble the Mets. Ponies. That is the Mets. Okay, It's um, also right. a fun fact. That's the team
2: that they had the massive fight with last year. <laughs> so was yeah,
1: that, was, that would be kind of a, a, a fun one to revisit at some point, I guess, um, is just talking about sort of, sort of memorable moments in recent Red Sox minor <laughs> league history. And I would say that the Tyreek Reed completely decking and ending the season, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say it was because of that necessarily, but the uh, the pitcher who was.
2: Well, then the pitcher bunched, tried like, to go after David Hamilton. for Tried
1: no to go after David Hamilton and in the process, like, blew out his knee and missed the rest of the season. Like, <laughs> David Hamilton was just and, standing there and he sprinted and, at him. And by the way, like, going after Tyreek Reed, like, like
2: one every, of the, one of the dumbest decisions ever. Told me he's like the nicest guy in the world but like but also he is a massive a that is the stupidest decision you could make he has to be the oh, biggest guy on the field whenever he's there yeah and also it, and- that was my uh i had been on red sox twitter for a really long time at that point obviously but i think that was my really big introduction to it uh because yeah. i'm actually the one that posted the video
1: mm, and, then viral, and then it went viral and then I I, I wish, you know, it's too bad we, we, you know, if we were doing this podcast last year, oh my God, we would have gotten a lot of mileage out of that. (laughs) Um, But, and the other thing about the Rumble Ponies, it's funny is that I actually, I'm remembering now that I saw the Rumble Ponies play the yard goats in Hartford. So that was a couple of, a couple of uh, uh, interesting animal mascots there. Um, And that was when, that was actually uh, when, Tim Tebow was playing for the, for the rumble ponies. So oh, wow. there was, it was a, it was quite a, quite a crowd there. Um, uh, so anyway, that was, that was interesting, but anyway, so as far as the, I didn't even think I said who I was going to talk about, I, no, yeah, I want to yeah, talk yeah. about, want to talk about Hunter Dobbins because he had probably the best pitching performance of anybody over the course of this last week for the sea Dogs, And again, Hunter is a friend of the show. Uh, we had him on last month. Great guy. Um, he had gotten off to a good start with Portland in, the, in his first few outings and then his previous three outings have, have been pretty shaky. Um, era close to 10, his previous three starts, um, including one against the yard goats. He had, you know, gave up 16 earned runs in 15 innings, 11 walks to kind of not an ideal scenario for him. So it was really great to see this week, him having a really uh, good start. And he went seven innings, which is I'm looking at his game log this year. He went seven innings a couple times in Greenville, but this was the first time he had gone seven innings in uh, Portland, just five hits, just one earned run. And he had uh, eight strikeouts and kind of most importantly, no walks. Um, So big performance for him. A guy that the Red Sox have, I think, a lot of hopes for whatever his role is. Talented, throws hard. You know, worked on that splitter this year, and so really important, really impressive performance for Hunter Dobbins. Uh, very much needed as he kind of tries to finish up strong down the stretch. You know, interesting year for him again. Started late because of uh, because he was sick, and then you know, it's coming off of Tommy John surgery anyway, the, the year before. So, uh, I think overall this year has been a pretty positive step forward for for Hunter Dobbins, but especially this past week, hopefully something that he can roll some momentum in going forward uh, through the end of the rest of the season.
0: Definitely hundred percent. I do want to touch real quick on uh, maybe a little bit on Nathan Hickey, but more so just his situation, because it feels like ever since the Red Sox have brought in Kyle Teal, it's been very much, obviously it's great to have Kyle Teal, but there does kind of come some questions of, okay, how does Nathan Hickey fit into this? Because, like you could very much assume, not that Teal's going to call it up to double A this year. I'm not saying that, but there are some people calling for it. I'm not saying he will. He may, may not. I'm not going to get into that. But there are some people who are seemingly already calling for it a little bit after he's only played, what, 10 games in high A? Um, but the thing is, Nathan Hickey's in double A. And Nathan Hickey, this past week, very solid week, five for 15, a double. Uh, but I think the bigger thing is his last, and, and Hickey's last 25 games, uh, He's got 106 play appearances. He's hitting 294 with a 387 on base and a 533 slugging. Uh, that's a 919 OPS in his last 25 games. Uh, he's been very, very good. And I and I think it brings up a situation that you're gonna have to talk about. If Teal at some point maybe does maybe, maybe they do want to bring him up to double A at some point this year. But okay, you also have Nathan Hickey who's also playing very good. And if Teal's gonna catch, Nathan Hickey can't work on his defense behind the plate because then he can't catch because Nate because Kyle Teal's Catching, um, it just I think for Nathan Hickey's had a great, really good year. He's been really, really good as of late. And there's just been a little bit of like a oh we the shiny new toy kind of thing with Kyle Teal, and I don't want it to take away from the success Nathan Hickey has been having because he has been having a lot of success this year. Are there question marks defensively? Yes, there are, but at the same time, you look at the bat and you go that bat plays, it, it'll play, and I think that's the big thing and. Like I said, those numbers over the past twenty-five games, he's only been getting better. You look at the whole sample size for the time he has been in Double A this year, and it's two seventy-six, three sixty-four, five 513, uh, 138 Way to runs created plus. So, just overall, like he, you have a good player there. It's just a lot of people now that, like I said, now that Kyle Teals there, there's you know less of, there's probably gonna be a little bit less attention on Nathan Hickey and. You know, or maybe some discussion t- happen with Nathan Hickey this off because Kyle Teal's there, and there's a chance maybe they end up at the same level next year. Who knows? Um, so it, that that battles maybe sparks some conversation. Um, but I don't want it to be lost how good of a year Nathan Hickey is having, and I don't want that to be just totally forgotten because he was he's not just like some random catcher. Otherwise, i got out of He's a fifth round pick in 2021, which is nothing to scoff at at all. Um, so I think that should definitely be noted. Hunter, uh, who do you want to talk about this week?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about the other catcher whose defense is not a question. Uh, Eli Marrero had a couple just phenomenal defensive plays this week. He also went uh, three for six with three walks, only two strikeouts, uh, scored three runs, drove in a run, and hit his first homer of the season. And it's I, I just feel like it's a really tough spot for Marrero. He's having a really solid year. He's, he's hitting .269. He's got a three seventy slugging percentage, which isn't anything crazy but he's got a 397 on base percentage he gets on base a ton he's he's really athletic for the position uh i think he's a phenomenal defensive catcher he's got a good arm uh that athleticism really helps he he, i feel like once a week he makes a play behind the plate blocking a blocking a pitch that saves a run or at least saves a, a runner from moving up um and it sucks because I just don't think there's really, like, a path for him, especially now that the Red Sox do have Kyle Teal. He's, he's clearly, like, the the catcher of the future. And then they have someone like Nathan Hickey, who's, like, more of a project defensively, but he's got such a ridiculous bat. And I feel like there's just so many people that keep kind of, like, pushing Eli Morero back. But you mentioned uh, how some people have been saying, like, oh, will Kyle Teal get moved up. I think if he does... I would like to see Eli Morero get a chance in Triple A because I know, again, I know the bat's nothing ridiculous, but he's shown this year that he can produce a little bit offensively. Um, and it's more than enough to go with such good defense. I've multiple pitchers have said, you know, the confidence that having Eli Morero back there, uh, get, that. It gives you is, is ridiculous. He's so good behind the plate. Everyone trusts him. Um, and I just think that that would be great to see a triple-A, especially that's something we've talked about all year, the tr- struggles at triple-A. And it hasn't really helped those pitchers that they've had, you know, Jorge Alfaro, who's not a good catcher. Ronaldo Hernandez, who's not a good catcher. Steven Scott, who's the best of the three of them and still not a good catcher. Like he's got the most potential as, as a decent catcher. He's still newer to the position, but none of them are like these even good defensive catchers that are going to make the game easier for the pitchers. And I think that that's something that Eli Marrero brings. And I think it's a reason that he would be a good player in the majors. If he ever gets a chance, he's 26 and in double a. So I don't know what that's looking like for him at this point, but um, I think at this point, even just giving him a shot in triple a and seeing he, if he can, you know, hold his own with the bat and seeing what he can do for those pitchers. Cause I do think he's, helped a lot of the double-A guys so much. Um, so if Teal gets called up at some point, I would love to see Eli Morero get a shot to, to catch a couple games in triple-A. Um, if not, I just I just hope that, uh, you know, yeah he's had such a good season, and I feel like it just keeps going under the radar because Nathan Hickey's been crushing the ball, because Steven Scott's having such a good year in triple-A, because they brought in Kyle Teal. So he's someone that I think if you were on a team with, which is funny because at the beginning of the year, we were talking about how it's a weak position for the Red Sox. But I think if he was on a team, maybe that needed a catcher in the majors and that didn't have these great catching prospects. I think he would be much more highly regarded by their, their team uh, just because of how good he is defensively and the athleticism that he brings that you don't see from a lot of catchers. Um, I mean, he gets on, he had a bunt single the other day, he hit a home run and then his next at bat, he had a bunt single. Um, so it's just, it's something that you're, you see from very few catchers. And I think that Eli Morero doesn't get the respect he deserves as a really solid player. And I don't know if he'll ever get that respect. I don't know if he'll ever get a chance in the majors, but I'm rooting for him.
1: I just want to mention, like, I think that something that I feel like I keep bringing up, whether it's here on our podcast or on the X app or wherever is there's all these conversations about, Who's gonna be the who's gonna be the additional position player on September 1st that comes up for the Red Sox? Because obviously it's gonna be a pitcher and then they'll be a position player. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this. I'm like 100 percent convinced that who is gonna come up is gonna be a third catcher. Like I just I don't see a scenario where it's somebody else. Like there's all this stuff about Abreu and Rafaela and whoever. And it's like that is possible if there's like an injury, but if there's not an injury, you they're going to need to give Wong and or McGuire like a breather every now and then, so yeah. I don't, and they will have to add someone to the forty man because right now there's only two catchers on the forty man. They can do that pretty easily because they could just put Corey Kluber on the sixty day or even Joey Rodriguez on the sixty day because I don't think either of those guys are coming back this year, and they're both still on the the fifteen day IL. So I'm not necessarily saying that Marrero would jump up and be the backup catcher after not playing in triple-A, but I do think somebody like Caleb Hamilton, who is back in Worcester, would make sense because at least we know he can catch. He can't hit. Like, he can't hit at all, yeah. but he can catch. And I think that's what they would prefer to have uh, because, again, Ronaldo Hernandez, and maybe we'll talk about some of these guys when we talk about Worcester. Ronaldo Hernandez is not really a great catcher. Steven Scott is a possibility if they feel like Steven Scott is somebody that could be worthy of a 40-man roster spot next year. I think they probably want him to continue to hit and play. And one, and one thing that is a factor in all of these discussions whether it's about um for any of the top 3 affiliates, not Salem because I don't Salem is not in this conversation from what I understand, but the other 3 teams are all either in the playoffs or are pushing to make a playoff spot. And I think that the the Red Sox will be loath to to break up these teams for the stretch run. Any of these teams, in my opinion, Um, like unless unless somebody is just really forcing the issue. We talked about Kyle Teal, maybe moving up to double a possibility, but there could be a cascading effect. Like I said, Caleb Hamilton maybe goes up to tri- goes up to the majors. Um Eli Morero gets to go up to Worcester and then maybe Kyle Teal gets to go up to Portland. Like that could be what happens Um You know, we're still like a week and a half, like more than a week and a half from the time you listen to this on Wednesday, it will be about a week and a half before September 1st. So there will have to be some decisions to get made. But I think catchers the position to watch. And I think that there could be a scenario that could be the scenario that makes it so that somebody like Eli Marrero gets to go up to Worcester.
0: I'm gonna ask a really dumb question, and I know the answer is not never gonna happen, but I just wanna throw it into the universe. If like the double A team doesn't make the postseason and the high A team does, can't we just like send all our double A guys down the <laughs> high A and just make like a mega team? You could. I don't think there's anything <laughs> stopping you from doing it, but uh yeah. Free why not? I, think, I don't think minor. it would le- I don't think it would be looked upon well, but S- no, send our triple A not- guys down there t- Send send uh, Bobby Dalbeck down there too.
1: You ought, you do, you definitely like whether it's a rehab assignment or whatever. I've definitely seen guys make rehab appearances in minor league playoff games. That is a thing that happens a lot.
0: Corey Kluber, there you go. Yeah,
1: get well, we want them to win, right? Like, sorry, no, he
0: can be a pitching coach.
1: That's true. He helped Garrett Whitlock this year, but anyway
0: yeah I, I just had to throw that out into the universe um i, I think it's a good time talking about high a and uh, we're gonna move down to high a here um uh, go to greenville uh we have a lot to talk about we're gonna start off with Edison paulino six for 19 this week had a double um i'll go to hunter first this time switch it up a little bit um thoughts on paulino's week yeah i
2: think a lot of people have felt like he's been disappointing this year and i mean compared to last year the the production's definitely down but he's a 21-year-old in high A, and, like, if you look at that in a vacuum without thinking about the fact that he had, like, this big, big breakout year in single A last year, 249, 331, 401 slash lines, really not that terrible for a, a 21-year-old. Uh, he's got 22 doubles, four triples, nine homers. He's driven in 50 runs. He's scored 58 more. He's stolen 23 bases. He's a good defender at a, a bunch of positions. Um, like, they, they really can just move him all over the field if they want to. Um and I, I kind of think that that's been the big issue with him this year is that he was so good last year and, then you know, he struggled at a, at a higher level. Uh, and he has a strong chance to, to finish the season hitting around 260. You know, he's, he's picked it up really nicely lately. Uh, he'll end the year with more than 10 homers. He has a chance to get around 30 steals. It, Edison Paul's, Paulino could finish the season with a really strong slash line really solid overall numbers. Again, the ability to play a bunch of positions, which helps with lineup flexibility. Uh, So has it been like slightly disappointing? Yes, but I don't think it's been nearly the drop-off that some people might think it has been. Uh, Because again, I feel like a lot of people aren't taking into account that he moved up a level, that he's only 21 years old. Like It's not like he's a a 24-year-old in high A struggling. He's he's a, a young guy who... Played his first, or uh, like last year was his first time in single A. Like it's not like he's been in the in the minor league system for this long time, um, and I think he like just the fact that he really burst onto the scene last year has has it kind of put expectations a little bit too high for him. And I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't expecting absurd things from him too. I think a lot of people kind of saw that jump that Sainton Rafaela took from his single a year to high a slash double a the next year. And I think people kind of saw the similarities in them. I think there was a lot of like Edinson Paulino's a very carbon copy of Sedon on but just a left-handed bat instead. Uh, and that's definitely a very unfair comparison. You can't expect people to, to just take that say Rafaela jump. That's a, that's not something you're going to see very often. Uh, so in the end, he's really having a fine season and, I'm sure the Red Sox aren't too hurt about what he's done. Like, I'm sure they're not sitting there thinking like, damn, Paulino has been so disappointing this year. I'm sure they're loving a lot of what they've seen from him so far this year. And if he can finish strong, I think fans will, will, will kind of turn that around too. If he can finish the year hitting around 260 with, you know, 12 homers, 30 steals, 60 RBI, 75 runs scored. I don't think anyone's going to complain about that and, uh, I think people will kind of start to jump back. Not that people have really jumped off the bandwagon, but that people will kind of start to get excited about him again. Cause I really do think that things have cooled down a little bit on him.
0: I do also, too, want to add on Paulino, just the fact that, like, you, like, I do agree, you can't project this Rafaela type of jump. I know there's a lot of people, myself included, that was thinking if there's anyone in the system who's going to have that kind of jump, he's not a bad candidate to choose at all. Um, and, and some, and, but like, you can never. Pro- Check those type of things like you never know who's gonna have the crazy jump it's like that's like you just don't know um but i think too there's also some people who just kind of okay what's he hitting on the year was it 230 240 eh, whatever check back in like a couple weeks and you look it's like oh okay he's up to from 230 to 235 it's still 235 but you don't kind of but when you look at it and kind of you look at a smaller sample size than what he's been doing recently, it's like, okay, yeah, no, we can see things kind of starting to move a little bit more now. And I think that's what you kind of have to do with a guy like Pauline. And I, and I think, too, I'll use the comparison to relief pitchers because I say this with relief pitchers all the time because it bothers me so much with them. They have like five – if they have five bad appearances in the first month and a half of their season, their ERA for the year is just screwed. They're, you're not fixing it until like September, right? it's a little bit sometimes similar with hitters. If they have a little bit of a rougher start to the year than some would expect, it is kind of, it does, it takes time to get it back. Yeah. It, it, and, yeah you're digging yourself out of a hole. And yeah, exactly. Whereas if a guy I'll use Adam Duvall, for example, he was hitting like 500 when he got put in the IL, he comes back and didn't, wasn't hot right away. And his average dropped from like 500 to like two something, but people were still thinking of, oh, that's the guy who hit 400 in the first two weeks of the year. Yeah. Because they just saw it was 400 a week ago, right? So it is very much that kind of situation of when you start when you start off a little bit slow, you digging yourself out of the hole, and people for the begin- after April see you're at maybe 220 or 230, they maybe shut look away from it and they just go up. Oh, the guy's hitting 230, whatever. But by the end of the year, like you said, Hunter, he might be hitting 260 by the end of the year, right? I think that's the thing to look forward to a guy like Paulino. Look at the year as a whole and then also maybe sp- and then split it up and to see okay, here's the rough start, here's maybe where he started to turn it around and look at the finish he had to the year. I think that's what you have to look for.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll just off of that. This month month of August has been really strong for him uh for Paulino. 316, 395, 421. Not not a super high slugging percentage, but the 395 on base is great to see. And he's shown really good defensive versatility, also being able to play, you know, three infield positions that are all important: second, shortstop, third base. Mostly at shortstop, pretty split evenly on the season for second base and and third base. So that is really valuable. The fact that I, I you know, if you think of him, maybe his ceiling is is that he's going to be like a utility infielder type guy. But that's there's a lot of value in that. We're seeing. Right now, with the Red Sox, the value of two guys who are sort of viewed as utility players in Pablo Reyes and Luis Urias, the impact that guys like that can have on a team, and we've seen Paulino put up real power despite not being necessarily a really uh, a big built guy. He gets by. You know, he's very he's you know a very a uh, uh, he's a very twitchy athlete. I guess is what you would say. And this year, um, you know, he's striking out more, so that's the thing to that he has to watch out for. But you know, almost a ten percent walk rate is really strong, no matter what. Um, I guess this is a good opportunity to just mention, and it's it's a you know bummer bummer time. Like you can and put in the if we had a producer that could put things in and post, you could put the sad trombone in <laughs> here. Um, really unfortunate uh, news about um, about Mikey Romero and. If anybody saw that, it was uh, really crappy to see just fielding a ball at at shortstop. And then I kind of thought it was a a knee or a a hip. I was so confused. Yeah, just and to see, you know, he's getting literally carried off the field by Iggy Suarez and uh, one of the trainers. Like he couldn't even actually walk. So basically if you haven't heard, he re-aggravated the back injury. That was the news the next day. I think it was Rob Bradford from WEI that had that news that he re-aggravated the back injury that had caused him to miss most of the season. So um, uh, it's uh, so it's for Paulino. That means he's probably going to end up getting to play a lot of shortstop down the stretch. And Anthony, or, uh, uh, Romero had just gotten called up to, to Greenville, and he was kind of starting to hit a little bit too, I think. And um, this is a huge bummer and kind of a lost season of development for Mikey Romero at a pretty critical time in his career. So, um, again, for Paulino will probably be the, the beneficiary of getting to play a lot at shortstop the rest of the season for Greenville. And they are a playoff team. They won the first half of their season guaranteed to be in the playoffs. Um, the Red Sox are going to have to work really hard with Mikey Romero to try to come up with a plan to keep that back healthy because back injuries for baseball players are no bueno. Um, and especially as a teenager to have that happen now twice. It's, it's, uh, it's a situation that the Red Sox are going to have to, and I, I have all the faith in the world that they're going to come up with the right plan for him um, once he rehabs the back and he's back to where he should be to figure out how they can keep, keep – prevent this from continuing to happen. Um, and you don't expect a, a, a really good athlete like a Mikey Romero to have back problems. But, um, so anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Um, and I would be surprised based off of the fact that it's a re aggravation same injury. I would be pretty surprised if we see him again, the rest of the year, um, stranger things have happened, but, uh, seems, seems unlikely. It doesn't seem like there's much of a timetable for him to come back, but it was, it was a very bizarre scene. Um, during that game, it just was not clear at all what happened to what the injury was. Yeah, because like
2: he walked to the pitcher's mound by himself. Right. And then all of a sudden it was, uh, I think, Max Ferguson. It looked like he was like kind of holding him up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden yeah. he just like went down and then the trainers came out and carried him. And I was like, they yeah. literally
1: I mean, it wasn't even like they were it wasn't even the thing where it was like they put the guy on on like one shoulder and he walks off to his own power. They literally picked him up and yeah. carried him off the field like it was. And he was in anguish, man. And then eventually he gets on the stretcher and they take him out. So it was a lousy, crappy thing to happen. And uh, certainly we wish Mikey Romero the best. Absolutely. Hopefully next year, he'll probably be back in Greenville to start next year. Um, Maybe he'll be there with Miguel Blaze. We'll see. Um, And those guys will will, uh, uh, come back together and start destroying the world.
0: <laughs> no we went from the sad trombones can we get the happy trombones now um i need the el presidente know. trombones um, yes it's time to talk about alan castro let's go um alan castro he went eight for 20 this week a triple which i'll let it slide because it's alan castro uh also hit a homer <laughs> i'll let it slide because it's alan castro but yeah i also hit a homer um did steal a base this week as well very solid and i think too you look at alan castro his numbers definitely uh um, his numbers offensively have gotten better since moving up to Greenville, which I mean, it's not a total surprise when you look at the fact that, like, good luck hitting, driving the ball in Salem for like a home run because like doesn't happen. Um, but like, it, you look to also his last 100 plate appearances, uh, in uh, in Greenville, his last 100 plate appearance in Greenville, he's hitting 310 uh, with a 390 on base and a 517 slugging for 907 OPS. Got five doubles, two triples, and uh, three homers uh 11 strikeout i'm sorry now 11 walks and 9 to 19 strikeouts um so very solid there also two uh two stolen bases uh one of them which was this week um uh, so just, he's just been very very solid like there's a and he was recently featured i think on mass live and in, in a column and just like we're, we're getting the alan castro ship just we're it's going now we're we're, we're starting to pick up a little bit of steam here. Uh, but it's a thing too where you have a guy like an Alan Castro, and sometimes he does, you might get an overshadowed by Roman Anthony one week, right? But it feels like every single week he's consistently doing well. And I think that's good to see and kind of almost getting better by the week. Um, It feels like a little bit, um, a little bit better. One week he goes seven for 20, the next week he might go eight for 20 or something like that. It just feels like he's a little bit better every week. And then by the time we know it, by the time at the end of the year, it's like, oh, it's like, oh yeah, Alan Castro's like, Legit, he's getting in the top 30 prospect rankings for the Red Sox. It's a fun time to be a part of the Alan Castro fan club right now. Can't complain about it at all.
1: Well, Roman Anthony did have a great week. Though, he
0: did. <laughs> so he like did. that
1: was I, I I just uh I I'll talk about him. So, like, yeah, it's been a good stretch uh for Roman Anthony this whole year, obviously. He was, I believe, up to like 31st on the EFN uh, top prospects, uh, top 50 update. Um, and so far for the year in Greenville, Anthony is uh, just in Greenville is 295, 415 on base, which is just crazy. F- uh, 596 legging. This past week, he was eight for 22 with a double and a triple, four RBIs. The thing to watch with Anthony in terms of his stuff at the plate is that his strikeout rate now in Greenville is 30%. That's pretty high. So um I think that the like I think we've kind of all maybe cooled the Jets or the Jets have been cooled in general about the idea of him going up to double A this year. I don't see it happening. I also just think he needs he needs more exposure to left-handed pitching, which I think there was a game. I don't remember if it was this week or last. It, week was, he, it was. It was. It was Tuesday. So yeah, Tuesday. He had a game where he had three hits off of left-handed pitch uh, off of a left-handed pitcher, which fantastic. Whatever they can do, if they can figure out just whatever ways they can to get him more at bats against lefties, like they got to do it. And it's just it is somewhat bizarre how few at bats, how have you played appearances had against left-handed pitchers this year? I don't even know if you could do that. If you try, there's just seems in that league, there's just not a lot of left-handed. They're going to have to start Are... paying teams to put Exactly. In or just like, you know, call up, uh, you know, up lefty or, or just have him face lefties in simulated games or whatever. <laughs> you could face Zach Penrod in, in a, in a simulated games. Um, and, uh, so the strikeout rate is something to watch. It's, it's not, um, in the, in the, the few at-bats he's had against lefties, but the more exposure he gets to, to high level, to this pitching at this level, again, he's very, very young, even for high a, um, and what he's done this year from an on-base standpoint is just incredible and remarkable. And everyone's taken notice of him and he had another great week this weekend. Again, he's there, they're in a playoff push. It's going to be great for him to get playoff experience, um, as you know, when, when, when the single a, when the, sorry, when the high a playoffs start, which um, will be, I believe the week of like September 10th, I think is when, when their playoffs will happen or might be the week after, but um, yeah. So Roman Anthony, he turns out he's pretty good.
2: (laughs) Uh, I want to just quickly start. uh, I'm not going to say too much about him. I just want to give him a quick shout out, but I talked about him last week. So I just want to, uh, Felix Cepeta, uh made two more appearances this week, three more shutout innings. So in high A now, he has uh, 14 innings, hasn't given up a run, a 114 batting average against, and a 0.57 whip. He's got 14 strikeouts, only three walks. He's three for three on save opportunities. He's been absurd. Uh, I-, I talked about him a lot last week, though, but I just felt like he needed to get another quick shout out because that's three more shutout innings for him now. Uh, and I do want to mention nick decker uh talked about him a few times i talked about him really early in the year as someone that i felt it was it was him and gilberto jimenez i said it's kind of a make or break year for these guys and jimenez uh, unfortunately had an injury that kept him out for most of the season he's back uh he's barely played now but uh he did he did pick up a couple steals this week which is good that's what you want to see from him uh and decker only played in two games it's Hard for him as an outfielder. There's a lot of outfielders in in high A, so he's not going to get a lot of playing time. So he needs to make the most out of his limited opportunities at this point. And in two games, he went four for seven. He hit for the cycle, technically, between those two games. Uh, he had a single, a double, a walk, a triple, and a homer. Uh, on the season, he's slashing 217, 330, 429. He's got 11 doubles, four triples, six homers. Uh, driven in 20 runs, score, and, and he stole on five bases. So, like, not a, not a great year by any stretch of the imagination, but he's had a lot of decent moments. He's had a couple big games. Uh, he's shown some great raw power at moments, and he's starting to pick it up a little bit at the plate. He's, he's now... Uh, he was kind of like flirting with under 200 for a while. There were stretches where he would be at like 180, and then he'd have a good week, and he'd get it back up to like 198 or like just over 200. And now he's kind of in that territory where... It's less of a less of a fear of dropping under two hundred. He doesn't have a ton of at bats on the year, but um, he's he's close enough that like a, you know an 0 for four game isn't going to drop him back under two hundred. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting because I think he's probably done enough. I know it, like those numbers aren't spectacular or anything, but I think he's probably done enough where maybe he's earned another look next season. Uh, but also the Red Sox have brought in so many prospects and they're kind of loaded in the outfield right now. So he could be an odd man out. So I think it's really interesting to see what he can do with the rest of the season. Uh, He's probably only going to get at-bats against right-handed pitching. He's a left-handed outfielder. So uh, as we just talked about, that seems to be most of the pitching in high A, but um, I think that that'll help too. I, I, I think he'll get favorable matchups with, with the fact that they're so loaded in the outfield, it's not like he's going to have to play against a left-handed pitcher or anything. So if he can have a couple more good weeks and finish the season with with better numbers, as I said, he's got limited at-bats. So uh, he has a chance to really boost those numbers a decent amount, even if he only plays you know 15 more games or something for the rest of the year. Um, so I think he's someone to kind of keep an eye on for the rest of the way just to see what he can do uh, because – the Red Sox are going to have to make some minor league decisions this off season. I think we're going to see a couple bigger names get moved potentially with uh, especially with like the people for uh, rule five eligible and um, just with how loaded some positions are. But then there's also going to be some of those like lower level prospects that aren't really sniffing the top 30 or anything like that, that they might just feel like, Hey, this guy's kind of just taking up a space that, you know, someone else could be in, especially. I mean, the Red Sox drafted quite a few outfielders this year, um, and they might see him as someone that they want to move on from. So I think he's kind of got like this: you're you're in the home stretch. You got a couple more weeks left. What are you going to do with it? So he's a uh, a good start for him was to have a, a big week this
0: week, and he managed to do that. We talk about it being like jammed in the outfield, you said, but we're all the assistants kind of jammed everywhere too at the same po- at the same time. There's also a little bit of that yeah, going on. Good right problems now. to have for sure. Yeah, good a problem to have. Also, too, we talk about playoff push, but then Portland goes one and five this week, and Greenville goes zero oh and six. Just <laughs> but Greenville's but
1: Greenville's in. They could lose every game the rest yeah. of the year, and they well, yeah, exactly. So. But it
0: doesn't help your momentum. No, you <laughs> know, you don't, you don't want to be on a losing streak on your way in. Um, But no, uh, we're going to go to Salem now. Uh, We're going to talk about um, another acquisition of the Josh Winkowski trade. Luis De La Rosa, um, one of like the 10 players I feel like the Reds has acquired in that trade. Uh, I know it was really just five, but um, we're going to talk about him because he had a very solid week. He pitched in two games, including a start, five innings, gave up just one hit, no runs, 10 strikeouts and three walks. Very, very solid. I'll go... uh, I'll go back to Jake first this time. No, just, uh,
1: Derek. Why don't do Why don't you go? go? You go. I'm throwing it back. Okay. Just because <laughs> yeah. I know this is you were very excited to talk about this. So, oh, why I. Why don't you just go?
0: Um. Uh, no, I just kind of want to rub it in the face because of some people who just like just annoy the crap out of me in the social media world when all they're talking about. Oh, they shouldn't have traded Ben Benintendi. Yada yada yada. They got nothing back from him. Okay. Jo- well, Josh and Galasky won, but you have guys like Luis De La Rosa, who's in. Yes, he's in low way, but that means. And you could argue the fact of, like, yeah, he's far away from the big leagues. He may never get there. You could also argue, hey, that could be a guy who's in the big leagues in a few years and could end up being really, really good. You never know, right? Um, and De Rosa's had a very kind of under-the-radar year because he's been kind of this sometimes he'll make a spot start maybe here or there, but mostly out of the bullpen. Uh, he's been solid for the most part this year. Um, and overall, I don't think you can really complain what you got him about getting from him. Um, and I, I think that's the big thing uh when you're looking at obviously that trade and yes when probably looks like a big piece they got back so obviously he's gonna garner the most uh focus uh in that sense and de la Rosa at 21 still young um and he's like i said been solid this year uh 330 era in Salem this year over what, six, 60 innings um can't complain at about 75 strikeouts as well which is uh 36 walks like i said ben solid right and i think that's what you're looking for you have a guy who potentially you know next year probably is in i would assume he's in high a next year i don't see any reason why not um at 21 will be 22 i don't actually i don't know when his birthday is um his birthday is in july so he just recently turned 21 but it'll be so it'll be his age 21 season next year. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him in high next year. And just continue to climb the ladder. And he's a guy where I'm very much excited. because I want him to be a big leaguer bad just because it can be another kind of thing, a check on the kind of checkbox of here's another piece we got back from the uh, Winkowski trade that's worked out. Because Winkowski's looked really good in the big leagues this year. Maybe add another pitcher to that. Can't complain at all. Um, And it's another fuel to my fire of uh, I want people to stop complaining about things that happened like three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah so look at the piece we got from that trade because it's not doing bad so like stop complaining about it like shut up move on to something else at least complain about something new if you're going to (laughs) complain like she's it's my pet peeve
1: wow uh Derek, the president of the Allen Castro fan club has spoken on a different issue. It's good to have well, it's good to have a, a, a well-rounded, uh, you know, repertoire of, of opinions, um, of policies um, so that you're, you're well-versed. Um, we know what your, you, we know what your Josh Winkowski trade policy is. Um, yes. Trade policy. That's funny. Um, so anyway. De La Rosa like is not a super hard thrower necessarily. And he's not a, um, the, the issue I see with him is that he's walked like way too many guys this year for, you know, to in, in different spots, but it has been very interesting to see his usage. And like you touched on Derek, like how he has started a bunch of games. He's come in and, and finished a bunch of games. He's come in as a, like a, you know, as a, he has, doesn't have any saves this year. I don't think, but, um, you know, but yeah, this past week, yeah, three innings and had, had seven strikeouts against uh Del Marva who he had pitched against. Um I guess he had two he had two different outings this week, but he had pitched the second outing was the three innings and then uh, he pitched two innings the first time. So um if he cuts down the walks, that's something. You always you, you just want to see guys um that have control. If you don't necessarily have overpowering stuff, you have to have command. You have to have be able to put it where you want to and um you know we're going to maybe talk about Jedricks and Paez again this week cuz he had another great start but that's an example of a guy that doesn't necessarily have overpowering stuff but he is uh he has command at sort of an elite level already which is something I want to talk about but um yeah it, whatever the Red Sox get from this trade is great and i think that i don't think there's really any question that the Red Sox won this trade it's not really it's it's silly to me that people would argue otherwise considering what the the Royals got actually got out of him and how like the Royals were bad when Ben Benintendi was there the whole time. It's not like they won, and then I don't really think they got a lot from him when they traded him to the Yankees. And so when ends up being this really important piece of a bullpen for a team now that's gone a playoff push, and you have him under team control, and Gambrel and De La Rosa are both really interesting guys. Franchi, whatever happened, thanks for the memories, pal. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. The Pesky Report is a major advocate of all things Franchi Cordero related, um, but. Yeah. And so De La Rosa, whatever you get out of him is a bonus. The Red Sox already won the trade, in my opinion. And it's, it. you don't like anybody that says otherwise is just a hater pushing an agenda, which is, it doesn't stop people <laughs> from saying stuff. But
0: um, yes. Yeah, I also, also, that one 470 foot home run Franchi hit in Philly, that will be in my memory forever. <laughs> it incredible. will always, it will always be there. It was the most incredible moment of that season. Oh, Franchi just hit one 470. How about that?
2: Uh yeah, De La Rosa. Um, as Jake said, you know, not the hardest thrower. I like his off speed stuff though. I think that that's kind of where he gets hitters. Uh, he's the, like you said he's not really overpowering anyone. He's lucky if he hits like ninety five. Um, but he's got a, He's got a good. He's got a good change up. He's got a good slider, so he makes that work. Uh, and yeah, if he can cut down on the on the walks, he's got thirty six and sixty innings. That's that's definitely something that you want to work on. But he's also got seventy five strikeouts. So I think that that's helped him get out of a lot of, of, of situations. Uh, hitters are only hitting 202 against him. So again, sometimes uh, obviously walks can kill you, but then he he seems to be able to lower the the issues by not letting people get hits off of him very often. Um, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him because De La Rosa's had a couple of starts this year. They've, they've given him a couple starts this year, but he's never really... I've never really seen it as much of a starter because uh, it seems like they really only give him three innings. Like even when he's cruising, they're like, all right, thank you for the three innings. It it kind of seems almost more like they put him in a starter role when they want to skip someone's start or if they're having just issues with their starters, maybe someone got hurt or something. But um, I it feels like it's more like, oh, we're giving this guy an extra start off. So let's just throw Luis De La Rosa in there. I just almost called him Ruby De La Rosa. That would have been wild. But
1: um... now that's a trade. The Red Sox <laughs> definitely won.
2: <laughs> Ruby, Dela Rosa and Alan Webster, man. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but he, um, he's, he's been, he's been really solid this year, but I don't know what the the plan is. Cause again, it's really only been kind of these like spot starts, but is it something where they're doing that and hoping that they can stretch him out? Cause he does get a lot of two, three inning appearances out of the bullpen too. So is it something that maybe next year, he starts high A as a starter, um, or do they just kind of see him as this really solid bullpen guy that that they would like to just work up through the minors as a bullpen guy, which won't make him the most heralded prospect. It'll kind of make people talk about him less, but if people talk about how important relievers are all the time. I mean, that's the whole uh, – not to start it here, but that's the whole Garrett Whitlock argument is like, is he more – important as a starter who sometimes might struggle, but he can give you, you know, six, seven innings, really solid innings every once in a while. Or is he someone that you just want to have at the at back of your bullpen that can lock things down or give you a couple innings? And I think that, uh, I mean, if De La Rosa can give you two innings out of the bullpen in the majors, like that's, I, I you know, it's not the sexiest look for a prospect. No one's going to get all excited about like, oh, this could be a six, seven inning guy. You know, he's going to come in after the starter and and bridge the gap to the the closer or the setup man. Uh, But you need that. A good team needs that. And he's done everything you could ask for him in single A this year. And I'm, again, interested to see what they do with him next year. But I do think that he's someone that fans should keep an eye on because he could be another really solid part of that trade.
0: Yeah, 100%. I do want to take – the other guys in triple a i want to take mine first because i do have a fun fact about the guy i'm picking um so i am going to talk about albert Feliz. um he went six for 20 this week hit two homers um he did strike out 10 times but we don't talk about that we just throw that to the side a little bit we don't talk about it um and he's a guy over his last 80 plate appearances um he's got he's hitting 280 with a 325 on base and a 547 slugging it's an 872 ops it is a 390 Babbitt, but we don't talk about that. Um, like same thing, like he's only walked four times and 29 strikeouts. We don't talk about that. Um, but you know, just letting it be just I'll throw it out there for the people who care, but like we're not gonna discuss that. Uh B, he's a guy who uh is interesting because the fun fact on him is that he is in his minor league career, he has pitched in the FCL. In 2021 and 2022, he pitched in the FCL. And uh, so he pitched two-thirds of an inning in 2021. He did give up a run. Um, But he did strike out a guy. He would give up a solo homer. But he did strike out a guy. Um, And then last year in 2022, he pitched an inning. uh, Didn't strike anyone out, but allowed no base runners uh, and got two guys out. So there's your little fun fact on Albert Feliz. Uh, I actually, I can actually piggyback off that fun fact because I, oddly enough, saw that last night too when I
2: was I was doing my prospect watch. Uh, that inning in 2022, he only needed three pitches. Wow, yep.
1: efficient. Yep. Exactly. So there, there is time, I guess, for him to head down back down to Fort Myers. He could have like it's an off day today. I assume Monday. <laughs> he could have gone to Fort Myers today to keep his streak going, <laughs> pitching. To yeah. Scale. But it seems yeah. like uh, seems like maybe that opportunity, that streak is going to get broken in 2023.
0: Yeah. Well, we also we also, too, you do want to talk about guys who are absolutely massive. Six uh, to 200 pounds. Um, he, he's a big dude. Uh, definitely. I do a guy I'd want to be picking a fight with, <laughs> um, you know, obviously, you know, with that size I and mean, we somewhat limited to where you can play defensively. Um, probably first base, maybe left field, but probably first base. Um And, yeah, like I said, the strikeout rate this year is high, 36%. uh, But, I mean, there are some guys in the big leagues who strike out 36% of the time and still have jobs. (laughs) Joey Gallup. Joey (laughs) Gallup. I don't know if he actually strikes out that much. But with the Yankees, it felt like he struck out 50% of the time. So, I mean, you know, you never know, right? Uh, But, like I said, I thought it was a fun fact to bring up the fact that he did pitch in the FCL the last two years. And he had a very good week this past week. Uh, going six for twenty with two homers. Um, I go to Hunter this time. Uh, who's someone you want to talk about in uh, Salem?
2: Uh, yeah, Johan Fran Garcia uh, got called up to to Single A this week, and uh, nothing like spectacular or anything. He went three for seventeen. That's a, a one seventy six batting average. Uh, walked once, struck out seven times. He did steal a base. He had a double. He drove in or he scored two runs, and he drove in a run on Sunday, I believe. I believe he so yesterday as we're recording but we this will be out on Wednesday uh so on Sunday he drove in his first single a run and it was actually his older brother Stinson Garcia that he drove in uh I thought that was pretty fun but he uh I I even though he's he's three for 17 I think he's already kind of given people stuff to be excited about the the double he hit was absolutely demolished um he's had a couple of really hard hit balls he's looked good behind the plate uh and he's kind of like I think there's already a chance. Now it's really early in his career. Obviously, he just got to, to single A, but I think there's already a, a debate for if he's the number two catcher behind Peel in the system. Uh, obviously, Nathan Hickey's there, but you, there's obviously the massive debates about his defense um, and if he'll actually stick at the position. And I think if you're looking at like a potential legitimate, like really good major league catcher, and, and you're like ranking the Red Sox prospects, I think you have to go Teal and then Garcia as the, the ones with like the most upside. Um, and he's just, uh, he absolutely was demolishing the FCL and it was great to see him get called up to, to single A before the end of the year get a couple at-bats there. So not like the, the greatest week ever, uh, but he only appeared in four games. He just started and he gave you a lot to be excited about, despite, 176 batting average uh so someone that i think for the rest of the year i would be shocked if we didn't end up talking about him before the end of the year again i'm sure he'll do something ridiculous um and i'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that first homer playing in salem might be a little hard but he's shown that he has more than enough power to, to lift one out of there
1: yeah so i brought him up before so might as well talk about him jackson paez Another excellent start for him. Uh, six innings, five strikeouts, two walks, two earned runs and talk about, uh, you know, consistency for the last several months. He's now his ERA for the year is down to 3.46. Um, his FIP is 3.73. Not too bad. His xFIP fip is 3.58. Again, those are not bad numbers, um, especially considering that he's only 19 years old. And, um, not only that, you know, his, his, uh uh I just had it in front of me. He has his whip is all the way down to 1.009. So that brings me to the, the main point that I want to talk about with Piaz is that yes, yeah, 75 and a third innings, only 64 strikeouts, but he, so that's, you know, you'd love to see more of a strikeout per inning kind of thing, but um you can live with that when you've only given up 12 walks on the whole year and he has four, a 4% walk rate. So, to put that in context, we talk a lot about Chris Martin and the incredible his incredible ability as a as a uh, a strike thrower and a guy that as a reliever for the Red Sox doesn't walk guys. His walk rate for this year is 4.3%. So this is the this is the the territory that we're talking about with Jedix and Paez and his ability to um, get guys out without overpowering stuff, throwing 90, 90, 91, maybe 92. But having pinpoint control and getting guys to getting guys to you know elicit weak contact. And um, so he's been again after you know maybe a rough stretch earlier in the year, some injury stuff, he has developed into one of the more consistent pitchers in the system. I'm sure that he will be in Greenville to start next year. Um, and again, another great start for Jed and Pias, who just is really continuing to show what he can do without having overpowering stuff and what you can do. Um, You don't have to throw 98, 99 miles an hour in order to get
0: guys out. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's, and I think that's a big thing for Pius too. Just like, just because he knows he can still get guys out without throwing hard. Um, I think last last thing, uh, last level we have to talk about um, with the exception, obviously of our FCL slash DSL minute. um, We got triple a going back up to Massachusetts, going to Worcester. Uh, and once again, it's about two weeks in a row. We got William or to, uh, discuss He's just, I mean, he's on a tail right now. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, this week he went seven for 19, two doubles, two homers. Uh, he had just two strikeouts and he had seven walks, which I, uh, triple underlined in my notes because I was like, hold, I was like, Oh, hold on. I, I thought I saw one at first and I wrote, and I started to write down a one and then I looked again. I'm like, Oh no, that's a seven. Um, and they also stole two bases this week. Uh, I mean, it's a very solid week. Uh, I'll go to Hunter. Uh, Thoughts on Abreu's week? Yeah, uh,
2: he had one game this week where he, uh, going into like seventh inning or something like that, he was 0 for 1 with three walks. And he worked a really good at-bat. He fouled off a ton of two-strike pitches. And then on like a, oh, I I would say it was probably a low pitch. I know that they called it a hanger. The one announcer said like, oh, he hung him one, but it really looked like he reached down for it. He hit an absolute laser out of the park uh, for a three-run homer. So it seemed like he was kind of tired of of getting walked and decided to to take things into his own hands. But I, uh, I mean, his career high in home runs before this season was 19. That was he said it last year. He's already got 22 on the season, and that's with missing games. To to put that into perspective, he had 457 at bats last year between uh, two different teams, both Double A, but uh, for two different organizations. Uh, so in, in 457 at-bats, he had 19 homers. This year in AAA in 299 at-bats, he has 22 homers. And again, I know we talk about Polar Park being hitter-friendly, but he's crushing a lot of these home runs. Uh, and he, he's got good steal potentially at 31 last year. He's only got eight this year, but I think that that kind of plays into the fact that he's hitting a lot more homers. Uh, and with the fact that he's had some injuries, it just doesn't seem like he's attempting as many steals. Um, obviously he's not, but, uh, the 391 on base percentage jumps out at you. He's, he's really patient at the plate. He draws, he draws counts. He he works himself into really good counts all the time. Um, which again, I think helps with the homers. Obviously it leads to, he's got 59 walks on the year, but it also leads to him getting into favorable counts where pitchers have to then throw him something. And he hasn't been letting those mistakes go by. And something that's interesting is uh, Jaron Duran had uh, an injury, left the game yesterday, and people were saying, like, oh man, what if he's out? What happens? And immediately people were, you know, oh, Weiler Abreu or Sedan Rafaela. And I think that that's interesting because I think two weeks ago it would have been everyone saying Sadan Rafaela. Now, I should say we've already learned that Duran's day to day, I don't think he's going on the IL barring something else, but. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that it went all of a sudden to a bunch of people being like, oh, man, are we going to see Wiley why or Brayer now? Like the the amount that his stock has risen in fans' eyes in the last, you know, two weeks, which he's been great all year. But these last, you know, I mean, technically this whole month, he's been absolutely absurd. Um, so it's just it's fun to see another name of, because he, he came over with Emmanuel Valdez in the uh, Christian Vasquez trade. And it's fun to see that other name who, again, we've mentioned this before, but he, when they came over, he was kind of like the second guy in that trade. It was more Emmanuel Valdez was the the bigger prospect. And now we're seeing all this hype for Willie Abreu. And again, something we've said before is he, with, with all due respect to Valdez, Abreu probably has more of like a, legitimate major league, everyday guy, uh, like value. He can, he can get to that point because he's a really solid defender in the outfield. He's got a fantastic arm. He's got good speed. He draws walks, uh, doesn't strike out too much. Uh, and he has shown a ton of power, especially this year. Uh, so he's kind of just built this to the point where people are now saying he should come up now. And even if he doesn't, you've got like this very, as, as crazy as it sounds, because the Red Sox kind of have a, a loaded outfield at the moment. He's got this very clear path, in my opinion, to an opening day spot next year. Uh, because I, I, like, I don't think Adam Duvall is coming back. There's, uh, there's been talks of Alex Verdugo getting moved. And I think that Abreu has a very strong chance of going into spring training with like this real not with a spot guaranteed or anything, but with this, Hey, if you perform in spring training, you're, you're here. This is you're you're going to be in Boston. And even if he doesn't win a spot, he will very clearly have like this next guy up uh, tag on him of like, Hey, the second someone goes down or if one of maybe like, if they have like a backup guy, if someone's struggling and, to the point of, you know, let's, let's phantom IL him, or let's move on from him or something. Abreu will be that next guy up. And I, I just, it just astonishes me how quickly fans have really like, he's, he's lit a fire under fans asses with like, this guy could be something fantastic. He could play a really good outfield. He could, his, his swing could be great for Fenway. And uh, I just think that he's someone that fans have really latched onto as this, like, exciting prospect and that's just it's incredible to see the, the potential return that they've gotten for Christian Vasquez
0: 100% I do want to add too like a lot of people have been like oh like like jumped on him because like yeah the three homer game and like the big week and like in his last what like 10 games or something he's I don't know what is it one, two, three, what, 6, 7 he got like 8 homers in his last like 10 or 11 games or something like something stupid Um like obviously people when you do that people are going to start turning heads but it hasn't just been the last like 10 or 11 games you look at his, his last 20 games which is 80 plate appearances i mean 394 500 on base 864 slugging and what's even crazier if you take that all the way back to the beginning of july i sorry not the beginning of july the beginning of not the beginning of july from when he came back from being injured at the end of june it's 46 games it's 189 plate appearances uh, it's 284 with a 402 on base and a 594 slugging. It's a 996 OPS. Um, And in those 46 games, he's got 14 home runs. Also 34 strikeouts to so just 31 walks. I mean, like how much are you going to ask of a guy, right? I, and with good defense, not sit on Raffaella level defense, but still very good de- outfield defense. And he's a guy, it's just like, okay, he's just getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Um and yeah, I think, and we've said this before, but if it's not with the Red Sox, he'll be in contention or at least or on an opening day roster somewhere. If it's with the Red Sox, maybe it's not, but he'll at the very least be in contention. And I think that just shows how good of a year he has had. Uh, he has a weighted runs creative plus this year in AAA of 128. Uh, last year, he had a lower weighted runs creative plus in AA, and his BABIP is like 40 points lower this year as a whole. So... You know, maybe, maybe, maybe he's had a little bit of bad luck in terms of Babbitt. I mean, it's still like a two ninety Babbitt, but you know, if you want to, if he had the same Babbitt, maybe he'd have an even high his numbers. Maybe would be even higher. Um, so just you can't complain about his year. He's just had an amazing year, uh, and it's just getting better and better by the week at this point. Uh, Jake, your thoughts on Abreu?
1: I mean, you guys have covered most of it. I would just say that going back to the start of this month, yeah, he has a a 528 on base percentage in the month of August. Crazy. He's bought an on base in more than half of his plate appearances. And I think that the, the patience at the plate is ability to limit strikeouts this, this month, um, 12 walks to just 10 strikeouts. These are just incredible things, incredible numbers. And um, I don't know if we're going to see him in the big leagues before the end of this year there, you know, if, if someone gets hurt, I, you know, if, if Duran had, had to go on the I. L. My argument was I I I don't think I want to see either Abreu or Raffaella up unless they're going to play every day because again they're part of a playoff push in Worcester where they're trying to they're trying to make the international league playoffs. I would rather see both of those guys play every day. I would rather see Abreu play because so, right now if Duran gets hurt then yeah you you have you're covered with you already have four other guys that can play every day that could play every day if you need them to. Not that, you know, ref Snyder is definitely a, a fourth outfielder, but like, you know, Duval, um, for Yoshida ref Snyder. And then, you know, Pablo Pablo Reyes can play the outfield. So I, I'm not, I think that if my argument, the thing I, I, I think I responded to something that, excuse me, something that Ed posted yesterday was like, if they need somebody, I would assume that they would just put Kluber on the 60 day L and bring up Chang and then DFA him when whoever's, someone else is ready. So uh, I would, again, my, my preference is keep playing every day, keep these guys playing every day. Um, And if their season ends, especially, you know, I think that the, if the, if Worcester does make the playoffs, if the Sox do make the playoffs, the end of their season is going to pretty much correspond with the end of the Red Sox regular season Um, because of the way that the, the AAA season goes much later than it ever used to now. Um, So, I I'm thrilled for Abreu. I want, I would just keep him there. Let him keep doing his thing. Um, It's been quite a run that he's been on one of the more dominant, longer stretches that we've seen from a hitter at a minor league level this season with the red Sox. And it's great to see it from Abreu. And it's great to see it from a guy who was a trade acquisition for sure.
0: A hundred percent. Hunter, who do you want to discuss uh, at A this week? Yeah, Rio Gomez, I thought, had a really good week. He made two starts uh, combined for nine
2: innings of work. He gave up three earned runs, eight hits, three walks, struck out eight batters. He's having a really solid season in AAA. He's got a 3.95 ERA, a two fifty three batting average against 151 whip. He struck out 47 batters in 41 innings. Uh, And he's they talked about this before, just absurdly easy guy to root for and uh, struggled a little bit in double a he he had a couple he started off the season really hot and then he had a couple of like just blow up appearances where it really ballooned his numbers and he's been pretty steady in triple a he had a couple tough outings but for the most part he's been I think a really solid pitcher for them and it's it's cool to see that they've kind of converted him into a starter he's he's really been a reliever for the last few years and they they're giving him a chance to to work on things as a starter and it's Worked out pretty well for them so far. He's not, it's not like he's giving them you know, seven innings every time he goes out there. Uh, I mean, For example, one of his starts this week, he only went four innings. The other one was five. Um, but he's just been such a solid arm for them, for a, a team that's had zero starting pitching for most of the season. You know, we've, we've talked about this a bunch, how much the pitching in general for the WUSOX has been really rough. Rio Gomez has managed to have a really solid season for them. And again, he's someone that I don't really know what his path to the majors is, especially with the emergence of Chris Murphy out of the bullpen and with Brandon Walter uh, having a good stretch in the bullpen um, as well in the majors. And, and then uh, Bernardino obviously came over and he's been phenomenal. So as I I think that that was kind of like his big value was, Hey, he's this left-handed bullpen arm and the Red Sox really didn't have left handed bullpen arms. And now that they're kind of stacked there and obviously they have started using him as a starter more often. um, So, you know, maybe that opens something up for him at some point, but uh, even if he doesn't get a shot with the Red Sox, it's been awesome to see what he's been able to do this year. And I do think he's, you know, risen his stock in the eyes of the Red Sox in the eyes of other teams too. Um, Just as someone that, you know, he started the year injured, missed some time, came back and. Again, like I said, started off really hot, then then started to struggle a little bit in double-A, but has really answered the call since getting promoted to triple-A, and um, I, I think that he's done enough to earn a look in the majors at some point in his career. I hope it's with the Red Sox. I would love to be able to, to root for Rio Gomez in a Red Sox jersey, but wherever it is, um, I, I think everyone, every fan of whatever team he goes to will fall in love with the guy immediately. So it's just, just awesome to see him be able to have some sustained success in AAA. Yeah,
0: I, I want to talk about Brandon Walter, uh, more so due to the fact that he started and went five innings in his last start. Now, I know he was very efficient with his pitches, and that's probably why he went five innings, uh, because he only threw 61 pitches. Uh, whereas the last few appearances he had only gone two, three and a third, and three innings, but he was at 51, 45, and 57 pitches. So he's still on a, still he was still in the same range pitch-wise. Um, but it's just to see him go five innings, nice to see. Uh, he only gave three hits, only one run. It was a solo homer. Uh, just two strikeouts, doesn't striking out a ton of guys, but he's been not allowing runs. So, I mean, do it how you do it, right? Some guys can do it striking out everyone, other guys don't strike out anyone. And they can elicit weak contact and he's been having success in AAA uh as of late. And you know, I think that's the big thing for him. He's a guy who, yeah, definitely struggled at first. Um when he first got moved down. Um when he when, yeah, when he first got moved down. But you look at him, he, he's just overall been very solid from June twenty second onward. Um he's pitched thirty innings, he's got a two ten year right. It's between the minor leagues and the big leagues. Um and just just 17 strikeouts in those 30 innings, but also just 11 walks. Um, and just overall, he's been very, very solid, and I don't think you can complain about that. Is he going to be a guy who's – he's never going to be your you know, your ace or your top of the rotation arm, but he's the guy who you need him to start. He can start, go four or five innings, maybe more if he's on. If, if he ends up in the bullpen, he's a guy, yeah, not going to be the hardest thrower, but he's shown that he can get guys out even at the big league level this year. So I think overall – um, the rough start of the year for Walter definitely wasn't something that was the most, definitely wasn't encouraging, but once he got called up to the big leagues, had that first outing where he went, was it like six and two thirds? And like you've seen ever since then, there's been a change and maybe it was moving into the bullpen. And then now he's starting, but not going as deep into games pitch wise, maybe that's it, but there's been a change and it's allowed him to have good results. Uh, and you can't, complain about good results there's no like i don't know why you would complain about good good, good results so for walter i think that's the big thing is having good results uh, and hopefully you can just finish the year strong and keep on going uh jake uh who do you have for AAA? you
1: know sticking on the theme of sort of left-handed pitchers i think we do have to talk about shane drohan and the two very different outings that he had um so the first was on Tuesday. It was uh, the first game of the week against the Yankees triple A team against Scranton Wilkes spare. And um, he looked as good as he's looked in the entire season, even in uh, Portland where he went six innings, three hits, 10 strikeouts, one walk, no runs he ran into a little bit of trouble in the sixth inning, but got out of it. I think he got a double play ball to get out of it. And this was a, a Yankees triple A team with a lot of very good players on it. We talked about Frankie Cordero already, um, you know, uh, Oswald Peraza and and you know just a number of you know ex big leaguers Austin Wells was a really good catching prospect like a lot of good guys in the system and Rohan was getting guys to chase pitches out of the zone which was impressive and you know not necessarily overpowering stuff you know the sitting you know 92 93 whatever where he's kind of been for most of the season but really getting guys to, to chase um, pitches out of the zone which was kind of the big thing um, so the Red Sox decided then, after he made that start, to challenge him by having him pitch on a normal five-day rotation. Like he had four days of rest, and he came back and pitched um, on, yeah, he had four days rest. And he came back and pitched on Sunday, and it did not go as well. And he, you know, I didn't really watch the game, but he gave up, you know, six hits, six earned runs. Two were home runs. Again, it's Worcester. You never know. Ball could have just gotten pushed out. It was maybe a ball that would have been, balls would have been out somewhere else. Only, only, hey, he did have three walks and gave just three strikeouts. So um, it's been a few times this year that the Red Sox have done that, where they've pushed him uh, on the sort of a regular starter rotation. And he's had mixed results. Obviously, this time, not as good. So he's up to 112 innings pitched on the season. That's not a career high yet for him. I think that there are I think what's obvious about Shane Drohan is that he has good enough stuff to be a to, to pitch in the big leagues with his stuff but the question it will continue to remain about is he going to be better off as a starter or as a reliever and will the Red Sox try him as a reliever before the end of this season um no no but but uh you saw again you saw both sides of the Shane Drohan coin um he has had a very up and down season it was really great to see him have really a tremendous start on Tuesday. He was so good, so dominant, and then to see him kind of take a step back on Sunday was was is not really ideal. But, um, the stuff is still there. Always, it's has continuous continuously come down to command with him, and um, you know the season's winding down. The Red Sox will almost certainly put him on the forty man roster um, after the season's over. To protect him in the Rule Five draft, and he will have a shot, I assume, next season to potentially make the Red Sox out of spring training next year as a reliever. Uh, we've seen Chris Murphy um, come up and really claim one of those spots. Same thing with, um, you know, Brandon Walter pitching really well, as we talked about. Um, Johan is going to factor into that mix as well. If he's just a, if, but you know, if they feel good about Murphy, they feel good about Walter. If they think Drohan is a similar guy. Maybe he's somebody that they could consider moving out in a trade, even before you know, before the um they have to decide to protect him for the Rule Five draft or not. So, um, but I love seeing that that good start for for him. That was that was fun to watch.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I I do have a do you have a FCL DSL minute. Do we have something? Yeah. So,
1: so just as a rundown for that. So by the time you listen to this on Wednesday, so today's Monday, the 21st, the season is basically over for both teams. The season will definitely be over for the DSL. Um, after this week. Um, I think they only have, they, they will play tomorrow. And I think Wednesday, um, I think next week, um, maybe, you know, it's just going to be me and Hunter on the show next week. Maybe we'll run down a little bit of some of the, um, some of the guys and some of the performances that we've seen this year, but again, Yoel and Cespedes is the name, um, you know, to 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 pay attention to there and to to care about there of the incredible season that he had. A few other guys, Starlin Nunez, a few other guys had good years, but the Red Sox, from by all accounts, from you know, if you listen to Ian Kendall or other people talk about, him, they're very excited about Yoel and Cespedes. So we'll talk maybe more about him next week. As far as FCL goes, they. As of we're, we're recording this, the standings of FCL show that they are one game away from elimination. So they need to win tomorrow's game Tuesday, and another team has to lose in order for them to get into the playoffs. Which I believe is just the best is like a, they do a one game playoff uh, between like the wildcard teams, and then it's like I think it's a best of three. Or there's only a few games left. Either way, by the end of next week, the season will be over. Um, I wanted to just mention that in FCL. There were three pitchers. I had posted a thing in the middle of last week saying the FCL season's almost over. We haven't seen any of the twenty twenty three draftees come up and and make their pro their pro debuts yet for the pitchers. We've seen a bunch of the hitters, obviously we've seen Kyle Thiel, most of the hitters that have been healthy Nizan on Zanatello and um, you know, Caden Rose is on the is on the IL and, and and Justin Reimer. But um we've seen a lot of the hitters, but we hadn't really seen any of the pitchers. Yeah, And the rest of us drafted a lot of pitchers this year. So it was kind of, I was wondering to myself, I'm like, are they going to get any of these guys into games in the FCL before the end of the season? So lo and behold, I think it was on Friday, um, Blake Hunt and CJ Wines and Cade Feeney all made their pro debuts. And this was also right after Hayden Mullins made his pro debut. Hayden Mullins, who they drafted out of Auburn in 2022 had missed, uh, all of his pro career to date re, re- rehabbing from Tommy John surgery. So he went two scoreless innings. And then I'd we hunt Weens and um, uh, and uh, and Feeney all went a scoreless inning themselves. I'm not sure if any of those other guys have gotten into games since then, and I don't know if we'll see them. Any of those guys go up to Salem, but um, one name that I think is going to be interesting, hopefully, to see him move up to Salem and get some playing time is is um, is Christian Campbell, who has just been um, absolutely tearing the cover off the ball down there. And again, you can't read a, a lot into uh, FCL stats. I think the stat line is never a good idea anyway, but it's especially not a good idea in, in uh, rookie ball. However, Christian Campbell played in the same conference as Kyle Thiel for, I guess. He, so I, I kind of forgot this, that Christian Campbell was a, a draft eligible sophomore this year. So he didn't play as much as Kyle Teal. but again, playing against like really good competition, not really sure he's being challenged that much in FCL. So hopefully, maybe he'll get a chance to get up to Salem. But, um, but yeah, next week we might do a little bit more of a of a recap of of the guys who performed really well, at least based off of the numbers, and um, maybe some of these guys by the, again by the time you listen to us next week will be will have moved up to some other levels and are going to continue to get some more playing time before the season ends.
0: Definitely. Um, the only other thing I want to I was just thinking, um, if I ever start uh, butchering a uh, and Cespedes name, I'm just going to call him not Joellen Cespedes. Um, that's
1: harder to say than yo Ellen. yeah. Seriously, no, not. <laughs> remember uh, Shane Whatever. Bieber
0: when they had players' weekend put on the back, not Justin, and <laughs> the jersey. I was <laughs> do that, yeah, with you. that was pretty funny. We <laughs> can do that with Joellen Sespis, not Joannis Sespis. <laughs> um, we, I, I guess it's time to move on to guess the prospect. Yay, uh, let's do it. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Do you have 10 hints? Um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. I think it was last week I only had 9.
1: And still no um, still nobody has claimed the roast beef the uh, the Arby's gift card for the roast
0: beef so, No. So. No, maybe if we put it in the maybe if we put it in the beginning of the show maybe they will. Uh, uh, <laughs> could be. All right. Um, this prospect was born Oh crap. What, <laughs> what? Never a good sign. <laughs> what a good start. <laughs> What? Jeez, Louise! What happened? Uh, it's part of partially my handwriting. It's partially my handwriting, and partially I don't think I know how to say it, anyways. Uh, Guacara, Goc- Venezuela. Okay. This player was born in. Oh, I forgot to put the A on the end. No wonder why I was looking at myself like that's not right. I forgot to put the A, uh, the A on the end of Guacara, and I was like, yeah, no wonder why. Um, so this player was born in Guacara, Venezuela. This player was born on April fourteenth, two 2003, meaning they're 20 years old. Okay. okay. This player, when he signed as an international free agent, he was signed by a team for $75,000. Is it Luis Perales? It is Luis Perales. Yay. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. What was the What was, was the him being 20 i was going
2: through i was like who's like 20 or close to 20 and from venezuela
0: and he was the only person i know like all
2: right i'm just gonna throw it out yeah
0: the other hints were that he's listed at six foot one 160 pounds um he's rule five draft eligible in december 2023 that probably would help give it away too um made his pro debut in july 2021 maybe that could have thrown it off maybe a little bit because he was signed in uh cause I was going to then say he signed, he was signed by Boston in 2019. So maybe the yeah. two year gap could have maybe thrown it off. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. He did, get a, he did get a decent,
0: he did get a decent
1: bonus. Um, So do you guys think, and we can probably wrap it up for that. Do you guys think he will be added to the 40 man? That's the next thing I was
0: going to ask. Yes. I think
1: so. I think so too. I think he's just, he's shown so much this year um, in that his stuff is so electric that I could totally see a team that, you know, the, any team, it doesn't even matter if it's the A's or the, you know, whichever team is the Royals. Like, I feel like any team would take a shot and say, all right, fine, come and try to, I just, I just
2: think he's too, he's got too much going on that it would be stupid to not, like, obviously he's not going to, be in the majors next year but well, so yeah. this
1: is the thing is that they run you run into like this is, i will i hope at some point they're going to change the rules on this because there are so many international pitchers that kind of get screwed because they because it's based off of a formula of age and service time and all that kind of stuff and these guys get signed when they're 16 17 years old so they're naturally going to be the first ones to come up that have to get added to the 40 man and so um I'm hoping that what happens with paralysis is not what hap- is not similar to what has happened and what is continuing to happen with Brian Mata, because it was the same situation where he had to get added to the 40 man. He had, he showed great. It was like very similar, like showed great stuff as a young guy, whatever. And so they have to add him to the 40 man and he gets hurt and he, you know, doesn't, you know, and, and misses a bunch of time and now the Red Sox are in and they have to keep optioning him back to the minors. And the Red Sox are obviously in this position now with Brian Mata, where he's got to make the team out of spring training next year. Cause he's out of options and he's, you know, Brian, Mata, we, we've almost never, we haven't talked about Brian Mata in months on this show because he hasn't pitched and he is allegedly supposed to be coming back like soon. That was my understanding was, he was supposed to start pitching in, in mid August. That was, I think Chris Hatfield uh, had reported that. And I haven't seen it. I've seen he's posted a few things of like the hourglass right on social media, like soon. It's like, okay, Brian, like when, <laughs> uh, you know, he's going to new- soon. When is soon is soon now? Is it in a week? Is it? So uh, my, I think paralysis. Yeah. will probably get added to the 40 man, but again, hopefully he has a smoother and maybe, maybe quicker path to the big leagues than Brian Mata has had
0: yeah the only thing i do want to add is uh our boy ct uh christopher troy um his twitter account has been amazing um yeah that has been in uh, a very fun uh part of red sox twitter if you're missing out on it um go follow him on twitter because it's been really really good um i thought it was hilarious the other night He just tweeted out well i sucked he just straight up was <laughs> like yeah i sucked And then he had a thread explaining that he sucked in all this stuff and putting it into perspective. And then his next outing goes out, has a really good outing. And it's like,
1: well, not only that, while we've been recording this, he responded to a question that had come through. Uh, Somebody posted a question to Hunter about, you know, about Mata, Fernandez and Guerrero. And could they play a role in the pen next season? And CT took it upon himself. to answer the question. (laughs) Yeah, he did all three are the real deal. So there you go. That's, that's CT's take. Um, yeah. But yeah, give, give CT a follow. He's the man. We love him. Yes. Friend yeah. of the show. Yeah. All right. All
0: right. Any final thought? I think that's a good place to wrap up. We'll go, we'll that's with it. That? Good. Yeah. All right. Um, thanks for tuning into the pesky report. Um, I'll repeat it. Like I said, early in the show, but presented by beyond the monster um, episode 294 of for the pesky report for Jake for Hunter. My name is Derek. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time.